Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 393. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Man, this week's story has it all, and that's certainly a statement, if not also a fact. Thelma and Louise rock and roll post-apocalypse with lots of other fun words thrown in that I won't give out because that'd be spoiling it now, wouldn't it? But first, let's wet the whistle with a hundred-word story. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, no more, no less. It's the name of the game around these parts, and the point has everything to do with doing a lot with a little. You can give it a whirl yourself and submit your stories in the Drabble section of our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. Maybe we'll pick yours to run the show next week. Our Drabble this week is called Motion Sensitive, and it comes to us from Drabblecast fan and forum member Janet Mermaid. Here goes. At first, she thought a motion-sensitive light in the bedroom was stupid, but it came with the apartment... She shrugged it off. Before long, she'd grown to like it. Whenever she got up in the middle of the night to use the toilet, the lights automatically came on for her. No more stubbed toes. One night, she awoke when the light blinked on. Nothing was there. Must need maintenance, she thought. This happened three nights in a row. On the fourth night, when the light came on, she finally saw why. She'd rather have suffered stubbed toes and darkness. Bet it was a Lego. You ever stepped on one of those things? Whole new category of pain in the night. That's the kind of shit that gets terrorists to talk. How do you stub your toe on a Lego, though? Hmm. Right, maybe it was something more sinister. Our feature story this week comes from Lucy Snyder, and it's called Diamante and Strass. Lucy A. Snyder is a Bram Stoker award-winning author of the novels Spellbent, Shotgun Sorceress, Switchblade Goddess, and the collections Orchid Carousels, Sparks and Shadows, Chimeric Machines, and Installing Linux on a Dead Badger. 
She lives in Columbus, Ohio with her husband and occasional co-author Gary A. Bronbeck and is a mentor on Seton Hill University's MFA program in writing popular fiction. You can learn more about her at www.lucysnyder.com and you can follow her on Twitter at Lucy A. Snyder. Our narrator this week is Summer Brooks. Summer designs and maintains websites for clients and for fun in addition to the Slice of Sci-Fi websites. She does voiceover and narrations for Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Far-Fetched Fables, and Crime City Central, among others. She's an avid reader and writer of sci-fi, fantasy, and thrillers, with a handful of publishing and voiceover credits to her name. Next on her agenda is writing an urban fantasy tale and a B-movie monster extravaganza. Our story this week is produced by Drabblecast producer Adam Pratt. So without further ado, we bring you Diamante and Strauss by Lucy A. Snyder. Diamante and Strauss by Lucy A. Snyder The Queen of Montana stood regal before her icy throne as her guards hauled in the notorious man-eater Georgia Diamante and her accomplice Elvira Strauss. Are these the gunslingers? The Queen looked down her long thin nose through her kaleidoscope monocle at the dusty duo. She's a gunslinger. I'm a bomber said Strauss. Diamante gave her a sharp elbow in the ribs to shush her. The thickly furred floor beneath them twitched indolently, and the zebra-striped walls breathed in afternoon slumber. The castle was far too familiar with the pheromones of murderers to be concerned about the girls. Yes, Mum. They are the ones you requested. The captain of the Queen's Guard pulled a savage, snub-nosed machine pistol from beneath his sky-black cape. We found this custom weapon on Miss Diamante's person. I call it the dance. Diamante tipped her woven steel stetson toward the Queen, St. Vitus style. In the olden days, the Queen observed with an arched eyebrow, dancing was like exploding. Diamante gave her a curt, knowing nod. That piece will give them all a decent overloading. It connects to something in your hip? The queen peered at Diamante's left side. Diamante touched the lumpy scars on her tanned flesh above her low-slung leather ammo belt. Neuromilitary implant. The dance links to my optic lobe and fires in perfect sync with the dial stole of my heart. I just have to think about it and the whole room's dead. What a soft bounce, the queen marveled. She's a hot machine, Strauss impatiently pushed back her thick golden hair. But surely you didn't bring us here to jawbone hardware. What can we do for your majesty? The queen pulled a digital wand from the folds of her shimmering robes and pointed it at the fuzzy floor in front of the duo. She flicked it on, and a bust hologram of a skinny man with a wild, dirty blonde mane and an equally unkempt beard spilling over a priest collar appeared before them. The pupils of his blue eyes were mismatched. The right was as small as the point of a dagger, 
and the left was as big and dark as a stim jim tablet. Bring me the head of this preacher, the queen ordered. That's Reverend Dr. Johnny Swarovski. Diamante squinted at the flickering hollow of the thin white man. He used to be your duke, didn't he? Before he invented his secret formula? The queen acted as if Diamante hadn't spoken. Johnny's an American, but he's fled across the border. My signet ring will guarantee his extradition should local knights intervene. She slipped a signet off her pinky finger and flipped it to Diamante. The spy in my cab told me Johnny's holed up in the desert outside Medicine Hat with his... acolytes. Acolytes? How many? Diamante frowned as she wiggled the ring into the tight front pocket of her jeans. The queen smiled at her. Surely you're not afraid of Americans? Diamante frowned. I'm not afraid of the world. What's in this deal for us? A clean slate, the queen replied. We'll drop the base, murder, cannibalism, corpse defilement, and public intoxication charges from the rave in Anaconda. Ezekiel, spat Strauss, that dirty jerk. He got what was coming. They all did. Diamante's eyes glittered. You'd have done the same. Maybe I would. The queen gave the daintiest of smiles and shrugs. But do my bidding, and there shall be no cell block tangos for you girls in my domain. And of course, there's more. The queen snapped her fingers, and two of her guards brought forth a bulletproof tortoiseshell case and popped the horny locks. In amongst the pulsing guts of the tortoise were dazzling pounds of glittering pale gems. My best friends, and soon yours, the queen said. "'Provided you bring me the good reverend's head.' "'Did you want the rest of him past his neck?' Strauss asked. "'Not necessary.' The queen pursed her lips. "'But I do want the head brought back intact, alive and unmolested.' So Diamante and Strauss kitted themselves out in the finest rhinestone body armor the queen's arsenal could supply— packed up their weapons and a good medical stasis unit, fueled their biogas Harleys and rode north up the ruins of I-15. They stopped at the Coots border crossing like regular citizens. This was the first time in years that they hadn't jumped the wall. The rest of the traffic was mostly cargo beasts, NAFTA Corp assault dinosaurs, and a few hand-painted vans full of various doomsday cultists headed to the North Pole. It was a nervous half-hour wait, Diamante's hand kept straying toward the St. Vitus dance, and Strauss fingered the lumpy outlines of the white phosphorus grenade she had stashed in her bra. But the strolling death mounties in their humming red power armor gave neither the gunslinger nor the mad bombshell a second glance. Where are you gals headed? The border agent pressed his sizzling brand into the fleshy page of the gunslinger's passport. The booklet quivered and squeaked in his hand. Medicine hat, Diamante replied. Oh, be careful out there. He gave her a smile that was two parts grandpa concern and one part raptor leer. Take the northern route through Vohal. The highway through the glassy desert ain't safe. 
Why? Strauss handed over her own struggling passport. Why, there be monsters. He branded a page, and her booklet urinated on his wrist. He didn't seem to notice. Goths and rockabillies, trans-psychic bandits, and other creatures that ain't fit for Thor's clean earth. They passed the Tabor Starship Impact Memorial and turned onto the highway that transected the endless shimmering craze of green glass like a dark laser burn. Suddenly, Diamante's motor began to rattle. Soon, the whole Harley was shaking like a junkie. A few moments later, Strauss's motorcycle started jerking too. They pulled off to the side of the highway. Diamante got out her flashlight and inspected their machines. Tiny blue silicon worms, hatched from eggs carried on the dusty winds, had invaded the engines. The wrigglers were devouring the metal, leaving behind sticky trails of epoxy. The cylinders were nearly clogged with the acidic purple goo. Damn shit burners! Diamante kicked a tire. I knew we should have sprung for ceramic Vincents. Well, this ain't good. Strass shaded her eyes and squinted out across the glaring barrens. This place is still full of radium. If we have to walk the rest of the way, our bones will be glowing by the time we get there. Overhead, they heard a tiny sonic boom. A rocket-powered swallow dove straight down from the sky and landed on a spar of broken glass. When the cyborg scissor-tail opened its beak, the Queen of Montana's voice came out. Thin and sing song. Don't dilly or dally, the queen told him sternly. I have word that the Duchess of Minneapolis wants Johnny dead. No head. She sent her raspberry berets to jam him. Diamante swore and kicked the tire again. The swallow gulped and rocketed away. Well, that's a fine kettle of cocks. Straw shaded her eyes again and resumed scanning the dazzling plain. We'll have to hitchhike, Diamante said. We've got to get out of this place. I think I just spotted our rides, Strauss replied. She dug her noise bomb kit out of her saddlebag, extracted the amplifier, and set it up on the pavement. She plugged in her microphone and started beatboxing hissing and spitting rhymes and grunts out of whatever she'd seen in the bright distance. Diamante heard Strauss's beats echoed back, faintly at first, but then louder and louder, the harmonics shifting and multiplying as dark shapes rose on the garish horizon and moved closer and closer. Soon, the shimmering glass mirage cleared enough to reveal huge cybersonic lizards, each the size of a tour bus. All were the descendants of feral iguanas who'd been impregnated and mutated by eldritch technologies from the starship crash that had glassed the desert. Each iridescent scale on their saurine bodies acted as a tiny speaker, pounding back the sounds that Strauss sent forth. The cybersonic lizards bobbed their heads and flicked their blue tongues in time with the beat. The lizards circled Strauss and Diamante, fascinated by the music, and unwilling to let themselves be touched. Let me try, whispered Diamante. She got into her own saddlebag and unfolded her air guitar, brushed her fingers through the virtual strings for a quick tune-up, 
and began to play Purple Haze. Strauss switched up her beat to back Diamante's music and the lizards made the glass quake as they writhed in appreciation. As Diamante hit the climax, one opalescent lizard was entirely overcome by her hot licks. He fell forward onto the pavement, scales buzzing and crackling with feedback, rolled over and offered his pink neck and belly to the girls. While Strauss scratched the lizard under his massive chin and sang Suffragette City to keep him still, Diamante fashioned a halter and reins out of her spool of carbon fiber rope. Once they harnessed the scaly beast, the girls climbed atop his ridge back and urged him up the highway. He lumbered slow and steady for miles, until the wind shifted and his scales began to vibrate in sympathy with a cacophony in the distance. They heard voices, yes, and music, but it was all too chaotic to be a concert, too profane to be religion, too apocalyptic to be just another party. Johnny? asked Strauss. Johnny, agreed Diamante. Let's get our man. The lizard slithered them from highway to hills, and around midnight they crept up to the edge of a vast fog-filled amphitheater that Swarovski's legion of acolytes had dug in the blood-black earth with their own hands. The stink of narcotic incense and alcohol and sweating flesh was nearly overpowering. It's like the bowl of the bong of the gods. Strauss pulled up her bandana over her nose and mouth. The Reverend Dr. Swarovski stood in the center of the amphitheater on a bare dirt stage, barefoot in a gold lame robe, speaking in tongues into a microphone. He was ringed by his thousands upon thousands of dancing, ululating worshippers who were pounding away on improvised instruments, Toxic waste barrel drums, AK-47s fashioned into electronic bases, whistles made from sniper rifle cartridges. Only a few of his celebrants appeared to be human. Swarovski waved the golden aspergillum like a wand and flicked glittering silver fluid onto the soil. The mud foam writhed, swelled into a huge membranous bubble that burst, spilling forth a naked purple minotaur six feet tall and fully formed. My priestly beast, Swarovski declared, as I am the god and the dog, my body the one true temple, I declare you join your brothers and sisters in holy riot. Soon we shall spread our message to the world. The inhuman crowd roared in joy and swept up the confused newborn. Swarovski set to wetting the dirt once again. Strauss and Diamante watched creature after strange creature birthed from the earth in his secret formula. He's got a real frontline assembly down there. Diamante frowned. We should have brought more ammo. We need a diversion. Strauss fingered her grenades. At that moment, a raid siren blared, and three dozen Valkyrie figures repelled down from a vast invisible dirigible lurking in the sky. They wore supple silver armor and purple berets and propelled themselves onto wicked plasma skates that vaporized flesh and bone and burned the dirt to slag. The raspberry berets zoomed round and round the amphitheater, annihilating anyone that could throw beneath their glowing skates, 
a fist-pumping derby of death with Johnny Swarovski howling impotently in the eye of their storm. His acolytes were running and flapping and flopping from the amphitheater, trampling each other, shrieking in unimaginable terror. In moments, the Reverend Doctor would be the beret's meaningless prey. No way, Diamante vowed. She drew her St. Vitus dance and thumbed off the safety. The weapon hummed to life in her hand and spat jacketed lead at the invaders. A dozen heads exploded into red glitter before the others twigged to the threat above them. The berets scattered, reformed in smaller attack units, a military metastasis. Diamante picked them off with relentless precision. Straw stepped in when Diamante had to reload, hurling knuckleball grenades in each fist. Each bomb went one off with a sunburst flash and bone-pulping boom. The air filled with the stink of phosphorus and scorched hair. The beret's squad leader screamed down on them, one skate rising for a lethal roundhouse kick. Diamante cut her in half with a chainsaw barrage of bullets. When the red mist cleared, Diamante and Strauss were the only ones left standing amidst the amphitheater carnage. Just them and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Swarovski. He turned toward them slowly, giving them a dazzling rock star smile, letting his golden robes slowly fall open to reveal a perfect chest and promising package. You girls are surely both my saviors. How can I ever repay you? Diamante pointed the dance at his heart. Get down on your knees and pray. The Queen's Secret Service ambushed the girls the moment they tethered their lizard outside the palace. Hey now, hey now, Diamante complained as the guards frog-marched her and Strauss into the throne room and forced them down on their knees. What's this corrosion? We had a deal. Had. Past tense. The Queen looked to the captain of her guard. Do you have the box? And the weapon? Yes, Mum. He pushed his cape aside to reveal the St. Vitus dance, deactivated and holstered at his side, and then he gestured for his men to bring forth the medical stasis box. Johnny Swarovski stared at them, balefully, from behind the plexiglass pane and mouthed silent obscenities. What about our promised payment? Strauss demanded. We lost our bikes out there. We had expenses. Leaving here with your lives should be payment enough, the queen replied haughtily. My advisors think I should simply have you both killed. That's a dirty deed. Diamante fought against the men restraining her. Dirt cheap, too. Strauss was very still. I am being most generous. Be gone with you. The queen waved her hand, and the guards hauled them back out to their giant lizard. A heavily armed squad escorted them to the city limits. Get out and don't come back, the squad leader ordered. You'll be shot on sight. Diamante and Strauss rode their lizard to the top of a nearby low mountain and stared out at the glittering spire of the castle. They could just barely make out the huge bulletproof picture window of the queen's boudoir, 
where no doubt at that very minute Johnny's head was being put to salacious uses. What should we do? asked Ross. Diamante tipped her steely hat back and wiped her brow. I reckon we go to plan B. Strauss squinted at her. You sure? She's got it coming. And I expect Johnny will prefer it this way. Strauss shrugged, dug in her jeans, and pulled out a tiny black remote. Press the button. The boudoir window shattered outward as the microscopic, scanner-proof fusion device Strauss had planted in Swarovski's next dump exploded. Confetti of glass and steel sparkled in the midday sun as it rained down on the castle courtyard. They watched the green smoke trailing up from the exploded window for a few minutes before Strauss spoke again. Okay, so what now? Want to go back to Cali? Nah, I don't think so. How about Katmandu? Strauss's face lit up. You know, I've always wanted to. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's jump into some microfiction now with a 100-character story. Yes, folks, that's 100 characters, not counting spaces, very short. We accept these as well on our discussion forums at forums.treblecast.org in the appropriate twabble section, because that's what we call them. And man, are they fun and relatively easy to write. Give it a shot. We post the winners early each week on Twitter. You can follow us there or at Facebook, Instagram, wherever, at Drabblecast. Our 100-character story winner this week is by four-member Will. Here goes. The first Universal Translator worked okay when translating, but it didn't make your lips talk in sync, like on TV. Ooh, it's coming, folks. It's a-coming. All right, weirdos, that's our show this week. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Melissa McClanahan. Melissa is an artist and illustrator with an unapologetic love for fantasy, myth, and slightly strange fiction. She currently resides in Ohio with her son, long-suffering husband, and two kitty overlords. Thanks, Melissa. You did a bang-up job. Remember, folks, before you sign off, our show is produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. And the reason I mention that each week isn't to bore you, it's to remind you that any Drabblecast episode, including this one, can be shared freely with friends, so you can talk to them about them, get their mind slugs working, all that good stuff. Hundreds of episodes in our archive off Drabblecast.org. Dig in there. Spread the weird among the masses. It's fun. You can also write us a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are reviewed. You can blog about us if you do that thing. And if you really want to feel peachy keen about yourself, consider donating to the Drabblecast. We rely on listener donations to keep this cast going each week, paying authors, artists, voice actors, production costs, etc. Go to Drabblecast.org and consider donating either once or signing up for a weekly subscription in any amount, if you have the means, that is, and the inclination. 
you'd be doing an amazing thing. At the $10 a month level, you get access to Drabblecast B-Sides Podcast, which amounts essentially to an extra episode and awesome story, sometimes review, piece of original music, you never know. But it's always good stuff, and it happens once a month at least. And you're helping support your favorite podcast, keep doing what it's doing, bigger and better each week. We appreciate it. Our program this week was brought to you by Bo Kyer, Sandro Dell, Samantha Henderson, Melissa Harvey, Tom Baker, Zimmerman Bledsoe, A Lazy Eye on a Stranger You Pass in the Subway at 2 a.m., Jason Smith, Jen Fisher, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you, he got what was coming to him. You'd have done the same. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.